Well, good morning, Mid-Cities Church. You guys doing good today? Well, this is an exciting Sunday as we zoom in or focus in, if you will, on the next generation. If you don't know me, my name is Ernie Kruger. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm involved in our campus ministry and our men's ministry. Uh, but today is a very special day because we want to focus on Student Sunday on the next generation. How many of y'all are next generation? You're like, like, let's say 23 and under. Raise your hand real quick. Come on, give it up for the next gen people in this church. You know, this, I, I, I was not a church kid growing up, so I, I never went to youth group. I went, not never, I went twice. Um, and uh, I was not, youth pastors, they were the kid like, Lord, we just pray for that kid right there. Um, God got a hold of me on campus, you know, so I'm very passionate about campus ministry. But now I have kids, and one of them is in youth. One of them just became a middle schooler, and I can't even believe I've got a middle schooler. It's kind of scary. Um, but, you know, one thing that's so clear is that God cares about the next generation. At Mid-Cities, we care about the next generation. This church, our call, and Pastor Daniel said this a couple weeks ago, he said this church has got an obligation and a call from God to steward the next generation, and we really want to do this. We, we believe God has called us to deposit and impart something in the next generation that will set them apart, that they will not look like the rest of the world, and that they would be salt and light in the world, to the world. I really believe, as I've been praying for today specifically here, you can clap for that, come on. Um, as I've been praying and, and just believing God into this Sunday, I felt God stir my heart, and I really heard, I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me in prayer. He said, Ernie, I'm going to make the next generation a city on a hill. And I saw in, in my mind, I saw this almost a vision, if you will, of just young people full of Jesus, full of the light of Christ, and they just shine so brightly wherever they go. So let me just say this. If you're a parent and you probably send some kids to college or you've got kids going into high school and middle school and elementary school, and we, you realize, my goodness, they are confronted by a lot. What they are being confronted by is nothing for Jesus. The light overcomes darkness. Let me just say this right now. So if you're a parent, like, Lord, please send someone. God's going to send someone, and he's going to make them light. So we better start believing that for our children, that our kids are not intimidated or threatened by darkness. It doesn't matter how dark it gets out there, because the light will not be overcome by darkness. Okay? So let's stay on our knees. Let's believe God. Let's speak life. And let's be a place where the next generation knows they are valued and they are welcome. Is that good? So now that's just a little freebie right there. That wasn't planned, you know. Um, so let me, earlier this week, uh, as I, uh, I was thinking on my sermon, I dropped my boys off uh, for swimming at Calm. And my two daughters, I've got two daughters. My youngest ones are daughters. Uh, my four-year-old daughter started saying, G-O, let's go. G-O, let's go. And then my two-year-old daughter <laughs> is trying to like emulate her. And she's like, no, 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 no. And so it wasn't quite as coherent, but it was just as cute. Um, and I thought to myself, man, my daughters even know the title of the sermon this, this Sunday. And really today we thought we wanted to preach and title this message called G-O, God and Others. We've got to look at what happens to a person's life when God touches them and how does it affect others. Specifically focusing in on the next generation. God has an appointment for the next generation and he's going to affect their lives the, the lives of others around them. And here's something, we all have a role to play. 
Everybody in this room has a role to play. If you are a grandparent, praise God for you. If you are a mother and a father, praise God for you. If you are someone that don't have kids yet, praise God for you. Everybody have a role to play when it comes to the next generation. This is a priority for our Lord and Savior, and we're excited about it. I'm going to read today from Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, please open to that. If not, you can follow along on the screens. Um, and if you are in Neely, I want to say welcome. Excited about all our Neely people. I'm happy for you to join us today, and as well as some online people. Um, my family in South Africa is watching the online service, actually. So I texted my brother this morning, you better cheer for me, because I cheered for him yesterday playing rugby. I was watching him on my ESPN app. Um, so I said, I cheered loud, and I prayed for you too. So I, th I hope he's interceding for me right now. I'm going to read from Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 4 from verse 1 to 13. It's quite a bit of scripture, but I think it's important. And I'm going to read from God's preferred version, the ESV. Um, all right. <laughs> We've got some re rebellion in the house. <clears throat> and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the, the, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Anyone ever been annoyed in here before? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, with Cyphus and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now just a little side note real quick. These people are powerful people. These are the same people that crucified Jesus. Okay, so Peter and John's about to stand in front of very, very intimidating people, okay? Um, and verse 7, and when they had set them in, the, in their midst, they inquired, by what power and what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, say filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? And now you've got to understand, Peter is getting a little excited here. I mean, you can just ima imagine his demeanor. He's talking to this intimidating audience, and now he's getting ready to put his preach on. Okay, he says, let it be known to you and all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by among men by which we must be saved. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Father, help us today as we look in your word. God, would you help us see scripture? Lord, let us not just read this and understand this in our minds, but Lord, I pray that we will be emboldened in our hearts and in our innermost being, Father, by your word. Let us see what it's like to live a life being full and filled with your Holy Spirit. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. And everyone says, Amen. 
This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I've been studying the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. If you've not read the book of Acts, do yourself a favor, read it. It is incredible. And this is the little context. So this is chapter 4. So there's three chapters, obviously, before chapter 4. The first chapter, the author Luke made his thesis statement. He wrote, he said, Jesus, and he quoted Jesus where he was saying to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Now remember, the disciples, they saw everything Jesus did. For three years, they, they lived with him. They saw every miracle. They saw the dead being healed, um, being raised, the sick being healed. They saw blind eyes open. They were firsthand testimony to and witnesses to the power of God that was working through Christ, okay? These men could have been witnesses. They could have been firsthand witnesses without having to wait for anything. Yet Jesus told them, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait. Why would he say that? you got to ask, why would Jesus tell his disciples, no, why wouldn't he say, just, just run, go, I'm with you, go preach? He said, no, 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 wait. Now, if they had to wait to receive something else to really be an effective witness, what does that mean for us today, right? Do we need something else? If we have knowledge about Christ, is that really enough to effectively witness for Christ? How many times do we want to tell someone about Jesus and we try and we fumble over it and at the end it looks like we push them further away than really pull them close. Anyone been there before? I've been there. I've done a terrible job before. I've, I've been so ashamed. I was like, God, if I was that person, I wouldn't believe after that. Right? I mean, this is the truth. We, we, we sometimes fumble and stumble, but here's what's happened to me too. There's been moments where I feel like I stumbled and fumbles over my words, my words and someone would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'd be like, what? Really? And I would be, I would be shocked. Be like, you sure? And they were like, yeah, yeah. I want to give my life to Jesus. And here's what I realized. It's not about my knowledge. It's about who lives inside of me. It's about who lives inside of me. Jesus knew that the disciples couldn't go change the world with knowledge only. Knowledge is important. We've got to learn about Jesus. We've got to apply our minds to Jesus. In fact, the Bible is the only religious document where you are commanded by God to love Him with your mind. So we've got to learn about Him. But we need more than knowledge, right? I know people that's got master's degrees in theology. I, got, I know people that teach seminars on apologetics. And then I'll sit down with them and say, hey, how many people do you win to Jesus every year? I've never done that. I'm I'm serious. And I'm thinking, Damn, I just know five scriptures. I just, I'm like, David, I just got a slingshot and five pebbles. I just swing that thing and just hope it hits the giants. And if God doesn't help me, I'm in trouble. I'm going to be running for my life. It's not about knowledge. It's about who lives inside of you. It's about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And this, my friends, is a promise from God to everybody who believes. You, myself, our children, the next generation, we need the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, when He comes into play, it's game over. The moment the Holy Spirit shows up in someone's life, I don't care what addictions you've been battling. I don't care what circumstances you find yourself in. In my life, the moment Jesus showed up through the Holy Spirit, it was game over. I'm telling you, the devil was running. And I didn't even realize what's going on and I didn't even understand the beauty of this promise. Jesus promised in Acts 1, he said, remain here, wait here. Acts chapter 2, what happens in the second chapter? They're all waiting. 
all the apostles are waiting and then what happens Pentecost right the Holy Spirit is being poured out and then all of a sudden Acts chapter they start preaching 3,000 people responds the biggest altar call in history 3,000 believers a lot of these were Jews mind you and if you lose 3,000 people as a Jew Jewish synagogues you are mad when they say they were greatly annoyed because they were greatly annoyed in Greek that means greatly annoyed too they were mad they had to make some budget cuts. People were losing salaries. They were losing people to this new move of Christ. And these ordinary, uneducated men were stealing people from them in their mind, saying, well, well, why would they leave us? We are smarter. We are more intellectual. We can entertain people with our intellect. But the disciples had something that these Jewish leaders did not have. They had the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, Peter and John is on their, on, their, on their way to the synagogue at the hour of prayer. They go and this guy stops them who's been lame for 40 years. He's, he's been unable to walk for 40 years. He says that every Jew that's worshipped in this synagogue saw this guy, okay? So now Peter and John's there are going to pray to God. And all of a sudden this guy says, hey, could you give me some um, gold? Do you have silver or gold? I, I need some food. And Peter and John, like any good missionary, is saying, dude... I'm a missionary, man. I don't have money. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up. And this guy literally starts standing to his feet. And now another 2,000 Jews get saved. 5,000 believers. This is Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3 combined in one. Now in, in, in Acts chapter 4, as we were reading, these men came inquiring of Peter and John. Listen, in whose name are you doing this? How, how in the world did we just lose 5,000 people to you? You are simple, uneducated, common men. There's nothing enticing about you. You don't even look nice. And Peter and John are standing there and saying, let me tell you something. Now just remember, what did Peter do when Jesus was being put on trial and a little girl asked him around a fire if he's associated with Jesus? He denied him three times. The same Peter... But the upgraded Peter, the Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, is now standing in front of the same people that just crucified Jesus Christ. He was innocent. Remember, he was found innocent. They said that we find no fault in him. They washed their hands saying, we, are, we have nothing to do with this. This is an innocent man. And yet they allowed him to be crucified. These were powerful men that Peter and John was facing. It was not a little girl out of fire anymore. And here's what happens in Peter. He listens, he looks at them, and he says, listen, we are proclaiming the resurrected Christ. And many who heard, they believed, right? This power that comes by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Tap your neighbor real quick and says, say, you need power. Now tap them back and say, you too. I want to I make, make four quick points this morning. We have some fun stuff planned right after this as well for you. And, something exciting you want to look you want to look um we want to get to but here's four points that I feel like is going to help us understand exactly what happened in Acts chapter 4. Firstly what did Peter and John proclaim? They proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. Here's what happened. Peter and John did not just understand the facts of resurrection and here's what we have to understand living in the 21st century. The resurrection of Jesus is not something that we just believe as Christians. This is something that's accredited or conceded by secular historians. In other words, people who do not believe in Jesus, who's not Christian, concede, but the historians concede that Christ truly lived, died, and was raised from the dead. 
The resurrection of Christ is the bedrock of Christianity. In fact, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you and I would not sit here today. I would not be doing this. I would be playing rugby right now or coaching rugby. But the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is a fact of history. It's not only a biblical fact. So it's not, well, well why, how do you know Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, the Bible says so. Well, as anyone else that lived in that time say so? Yes, several of the leading historians of that day, Josephus as one of them, for example, was one of the leading Roman historians, and he wrote a lot of things about Jesus. That confirms the resurrected Christ, not just his birth through a virgin, not just the crucifixion, but also the claims of the resurrection. And it's overwhelming. This is the bedrock of Christianity, but it doesn't stop there because knowledge alone doesn't change us. Here's what Peter and John had, and here's what God wants us to have. They had a resurrected life. Peter and John experienced, not just intellectually, they had a personal experience with the resurrection. Jesus raised their life up from the dead. The promise in Christianity is not that Jesus makes us better. He makes us new. He takes the old you and he lets that die. And then he makes you completely new. And this to me became a stark reality before I was theologically trained to understand this. It happened, I was saved just maybe two years, and a friend of mine came to me, and, and, and I played in this one town. I played a game against the team that he was living. He's an ophthalmologist in that city to this day. And he said, Ernie, can I just have 10 minutes with you in the hotel lobby? I have a question. And I'm thinking, this is a high school friend. He hasn't seen me since high school. I said, sure. So we sit down, and he looks at me, and we start conversation, and we, we have 10 to 15 minutes max. He's busy. I'm there for a game, so I don't have much time. And he just looks at me at some point, and he says, Dude, what happened? And he's asking it in serious distress. He cannot compute. He's a smart guy, but he can't compute. He said, Ernie, I don't recognize you. He said, what happened? And I looked at him and super spiritual answer. I just said, Jesus, I, I don't know, Henry. Jesus came and changed my life, and I've never been the same again. See, here's the promise of Christianity, and this is what Peter and John knew firsthand. They experienced the resurrected life of Christ by being raised from dead, being dead in sin, and being made alive in Christ. The Jewish leaders were mad because they couldn't compete with that. They were telling people what to do, and people could never do it. They could never live up to the law. And here these ordinary common men comes full of the Holy Spirit, preaches about the resurrection of Jesus and forgiveness of sins if you would surrender to Him. And not only were people's sins forgiven, they were transformed. Their family couldn't recognize them. said, whatever you did to my husband, I want that. Whatever you did to my wife, I want that. Whatever happened to my son, I want that. The resurrection was being seen in the people of the day. It was massive. It changed life. Lives. It was a huge thing. This was a big deal. The resurrection is the bedrock of Christianity, but not just the fact of the resurrection. Our personal stories of how we've been resurrected from our sins, how God's lifted us out of our sins, out of our addictions, out of our shame, and given us a new life. Amen. Anyone in you experienced new life in Christ? Come on. It's true. Now, a second quick point I want to make you, and I say quick because i got to be quick, is hearing always precedes believing. You know, it's funny to me, sometimes I'll sit in my house and I'm like, Lord, I want to see someone get saved. And he says, well, go tell someone about me. You ever get like just hungry to see someone get saved? And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. So, and this is this huge phenomenon. I don't even know how to explain this. Maybe you can help me. The more I talk about Jesus, the more people believe in him. And the less I talk about him, the less people believe in him. 
I don't see people believe in him unless I tell them about him. And now I hear about people believing, but personally. And this is, this is the conundrum we face, right? As if hearing precedes believing, the apostles were preaching the resurrection of the dead and new life and hope in Christ. And many who heard believed. We, we have an obligation as mid-cities. As moms and dads and grandparents and, and just adults, we, we have an obligation and responsibility to allow the next generation to at least hear the gospel so that you can believe. The, the, the current of this world and the temptations and the darkness that can seem overwhelming, they'll stay overwhelming and they, they will seem to be permeating culture until we allow people to hear and believe. Last week I had the privilege to go preach the gospel in Orlando and in Jacksonville. In four days, 265 students gave their life to Jesus. We, Will Galloway and our interns and Kelly and our team and Jake who you heard from, they took a team from, from here, from Midland College, Odessa College and UTBB to a retreat and I think five or six students gave their life to Jesus. In fact, there was people in the first service from UTBB that gave their life to Jesus on Monday. But you know what all these people had in common? They heard and then they believed. If you want to see people be changed by the gospel and transformed by the gospel, you've got to allow them to hear. Let's be generous with the gospel. Let's not withhold the one thing that brings hope, not to some, but to all. One of the saddest things in my life was because I played professional rugby and people saw me on TV and I had a little notoriety, people thought I didn't need anything. Oh, he's successful. He doesn't need anything. I was dying on the inside. And thankfully, someone took the time to sit me down and say, Ernie, you need Jesus. Have you heard about the gospel? I heard the gospel, and I'm so thankful they did it. And I believed, and my life was forever changed. Firstly, we got to understand the resurrection is factual, and there's a spiritual reality that we need to be, experience the resurrection life. Secondly, we got to understand that hearing precedes believing. And thirdly, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. We've got to ask ourselves, and you know, tonight at Engage the Spirit, we're going to dive deeper into this specifically, just we'll have more time. But we've got to ask ourselves, why, why did Peter deny Christ, and then all of a sudden, now he's so bold in front of these powerful people? What happened? And the only thing you can come to, if you read Scripture, is that he was emboldened by the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John spoke to these leaders, remember, these were not small men. These were massive men in the sense, not big, but in the sense that they were massive in, in terms of their authority. These were powerful men that Peter and John stood in front of. And when these men looked at them, they saw in Peter and John what they tried to kill in Jesus. Remember that. These men just crucified Christ. Peter now full of the Holy Spirit. That's what God, that's what Luke said, Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1. They would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit and then they shall become witnesses. And now Peter filled with the promise, the Holy Spirit, he now stands in front of these men and is talking about the gospel. And, and they realize this is not just knowledge being transferred. They realize I'm standing in front of someone that's speaking with the same authority that Jesus spoke with. These leaders were troubled in this moment. You can imagine, they're sitting there thinking, we just killed him and now he's alive again in these people. Now we've got to understand as Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the triune God. 
Jesus said, it's better for me to go because I'm sending you a helper, a comforter. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. A teacher, a God. And here we see it in Peter and John. And this promise was not just for Peter and John. This promise was for you and I. These men looked at Peter and John. And they felt like they were listening to Jesus. And here's what you've got to understand. When you have the boldness and the courage to proclaim the gospel, whether it's with the next generation, with your generation, or a generation above you, it's not about your knowledge primarily. It's about the Spirit of God working through you. And just as these leaders, these powerful Jews that just crucified Christ, looked at Peter and John, ordinary, uneducated men, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw Christ in Him and they felt His presence as they spoke to these men. People will see Jesus. If you talk about the gospel and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's as if Jesus Himself is talking to that person through you. That's the promise. That's God's intentions. Jesus didn't leave us and say, hey, go do this impossible mission. He actually gave us what we needed to see the world transformed by the good news of the gospel. But it's not just knowledge of the good news that changes man. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit working through us as we speak about Jesus and see people get saved. God is calling us as a church to steward this promise. We've got to be a church and we are people, mid-cities, that's focused and committed to the next generation. We will steward the gospel. We will make sure they have the gospel. They know about this resurrected Christ. That they live lives full of the Holy Spirit. That they can hear and believe as well. And here's what you and I have to understand. God wants to work through you. Tap the person next to you and say, God wants to work through you. I want to pray for us real quick before we move on. A real treat after this. Would you pray with me for a second? Worship team, would you come join me up on the stage? I want to just, as we get ready to pray, just I want you to open your heart. And I know, I, I've been terrified of sharing the gospel. There's moments in my life, and people will say, Ernie, but you're an evangelist, so you probably never feel fear. I face every fear you face. I ask myself, man, what if this goes bad? What if I'm embarrassed? What if people don't like me? What if this affects my income? What if people sue me? I mean, what if, what, if, what if people don't like my family? I mean, all the fears that rolls through people's minds runs through my minds. But here's what I know. The word boldness that, that they used, that they saw the boldness in Peter and John, the Greek root word for that is called paresia. Paresia. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but that's my translation, my South African version of the Greek. And it means to speak freely without restraint. To be able to speak truth in a manner where there's no fear holding it back and you can freely communicate that which is true and that which is real. And that's my prayer. And I want to pray that over us as a church that we will be a people full of the Holy Spirit that can freely speak with paresia, with boldness and be a good witness in this world and to the next generation for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you firstly for the promise you made for us in Acts chapter 1 that you made for the disciples Lord and that you said that anyone who would believe would receive this promise Father we thank you for the Holy Spirit Lord I pray today Father God that you would speak to our hearts 
Lord, I pray today that you would shake fear, that chains will break as we sang earlier today, that fear will bow at the name of Jesus, and that we would be people full of your Holy Spirit, filled with your Spirit, and Lord, that we would speak about the gospel generously, frequently, and with paraisia, with boldness. And we pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.